It's been a long 74 years since it made its last orbit around our sun. A comet not seen since the late 1950s is set to return to the night skies tonight and put on quite the celestial show. Granddad, who are all these kids? Ah, they were my best friends when I was a kid. Where are they now? Well, it was a long time ago. The asteroid that went down last night and landed outside the town is most likely a broken piece off the comet that's due to pass over tomorrow night. This is really not a good idea. Looking for a piece of comet in a dense forest with no road access would be like a needle in a haystack. Kids get to it first. They won't. I'll see to that. You're right, we're just a bunch of kids. We've come this far, but that comet has come even further. It's crashed too close to home for us just to ignore it. Your destiny is already laid out in front of you, Lucas. There are no mistakes. We're all connected, overlapping, and never separate. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. Last week I caught this terrific little Australian gem called The Comet Kids, a fun adventure film which will remind viewers of Stand By Me, The Goonies and other 80s favourites. Set in 1950s America, The Comet Kids follows five small towners, Lucas, Claudia, Trix, Inertia and Guns as they head out on the adventure of a lifetime to find a piece of comet that crash lands near their hometown. Hot on their tails is the film's villain, Cliff, who's desperate to lay claim to the comet's discovery, which was first spotted by Lucas's father years earlier. The Comet Kids has just enjoyed a very successful, but very limited cinema release, and wider audiences will be able to catch the film from the comfort of their own home when it's released nationally on December 20, just in time for Christmas. Here, I catch up with the film's director, Glenn Triggs, a filmmaker worth keeping an eye on. Anyway, enjoy. Uh, Glenn Triggs, uh, welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. Thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, so in your own words, can you tell us a bit about uh, what the Comet Kids is about? Uh, yeah, sure. It's about a group of uh, kids that go on this big adventure and they go to find the piece of a passing comet that crash lands near their hometown and it's set in the 1950s. So, so it's, a, um, it's a big adventure movie, basically. So uh, after three years of hard work, uh, how does it feel to finally screen the film to a wide audience? Uh, it's still stressful for, for some reason. I don't know why. I think because for such a long time, 
um, it was so difficult to get the movie uh, to where I wanted it to be. And even though it's all finished now and I'm showing audiences, it's in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, do I still need to fix something? Is that sound okay? Everything's all fine, obviously. But, um, yeah, my brain just goes straight back into work mode and I'm like, you know, can I fix this? Is that okay? Is that color okay? So, um, yeah, I'm quite a perfectionist in that sense. But um, it it feels great. It's it's had a great response, especially from kids, which is what we we designed it to be. So, um, yeah, it's been really good. Uh, I regularly host uh, Q&A screenings of the one film over multiple nights. And uh, one thing that I've noticed is that filmmakers, and especially directors and producers, uh, they're very keen to sit in on their film night after night and watch it over and over again. Uh, Are you that kind of filmmaker, or would you prefer to hang out in the foyer somewhere while your film is playing? Um, I didn't realise that I was that kind, but in the last um, yeah, week I've realised that I feel like I need to be at every screening, which is really weird. So I've I've been at two today, actually. And um, as as much as I've seen the movie a thousand times, it's always great to see it with a new audience and um, sort of, you know, look in the corner of your eye and see like the smiles or the laughter or the tears or whatever the reaction might be. So, um, yeah, I never I never thought I was that sort of person, but I've, I've realized very recently that I actually am. And um, it's kind of it's kind of a weird thing to, um, yeah, to go back day after day and see the same movie over and over again. But um, I always say to my wife, it's kind of like I've written a song, like it's taken me three years to you know write a song. And I've practiced the song over and over and over again. It's finally perfect. And now I've just got this time to perform it to people. So I feel like I need to sort of be there, I guess, with the song, a.k.a. the movie, I guess. That's a fantastic way of putting it, yeah. Uh, So what's going through your head when you're watching the film for the thousandth time? I mean, are are you absorbed in this thing uh, that you've created and are you learning from it or are you Um, more interested in the audience reaction? Yeah, I'm definitely learning from it. Um, Mm. There's different um, responses that I've had at different parts of the film which we didn't really realise, even after we tested it, um, went, once it went off to the broader audiences, we realised that some bits got laughs that shouldn't have got laughs and vice versa, which was kind of really weird. So, um, yeah, for the past couple of days, I'm kind of like, you know, I would love to go back and, you know, rewrite or re, re-edit um, a scene or two, but um, I've, it is what it is and I'm really proud of the film. But um, it's a very interesting thing to, um, yeah, to get responses on different uh, aspects of the movie and, um yeah, and sort of really make you question a lot of things that I didn't really question in the past. So it's a good thing and a bad thing, but I'm definitely learning from it, which is great. Isn't that interesting? It's usually the laughs that that are the biggest surprise to a filmmaker and, and especially laughs at certain points that you don't expect the audience to laugh at. Um, are, yeah. there, are there any uh, parts in particular that uh, people are laughing at that you didn't expect them to uh, without giving too much um, away? Once near the end, I won't give it away because it sort of gives away the movie to some degree, but... There's one, there's one bit of delivery near the end which got a bit of a laugh, which was very unexpected for, for all of us, our you know, DP, you know, producers and everyone. And um, it it's interesting what the audience said about it. It wasn't necessarily um, the way it was written. It was more about how it was said. Mm. But, it um, yeah, it was a very unexpected laugh and it made me sort of think, oh, maybe I should have, you know, uh, tackled that particular point of the film a lot differently, maybe a, bit, a lot softer, mm, mm. might have worked a bit better. But, um movie still works the majority of the audience um don't laugh at it but there are people that do and that's the that's the people that um stand out in my mind i guess were they older people or younger people do you know um i'm not sure i couldn't tell the difference between the laughs i think it might have been a mixture of both Mm. actually Mm. um so yeah it's a very very interesting thing but it's it's definitely something that i've learned from this and just to um i guess the thing i've learned from is maybe test the film to a much bigger audience because I think we only tested to about 60 people right. um, 
And so, you know, maybe, you know, 300 might have been a better number to get a, a much wider variety of um, reactions to it, I guess. It's a fascinating process. Uh, the last four feature films that you've directed, uh, The Follow, Cinemaphobia 41 and Apocalypse Cult, have all been uh, made for a more mature audience. Uh, why this sharp turn into family adventure uh, with the comic kids? Yeah, well, we just finished Apocalyptic. Uh, the, the US name for that movie is Apocalypse Cult. Mm. And um, we, like my wife sort of said, you know, you need to make something you know, more of a movie that you enjoy because I love family adventure films. Like I love the Goonies and Jurassic Park and Fly the Navigator and Explorers and all these like great sort of late 80s, early 90s um, family adventure movies, I guess. And I love that idea, but I really had no clue how to make a film like that or even what to call it or, you know, anything. And we sort of had this conversation a few times and very organically somehow the name The Comet Kids popped up. And we sort of just kind of based the movie around that name. Like, it happened really quickly. We kind of thought, like, that's a really great name for a movie. Like, what is what, who are the Comet kids? Um, maybe a Comet crashes. Maybe the kids have to go find it. Maybe it's like, you know, a, maybe the Comet is like the dead body in Stand By Me or something like that. And, um, yeah, it happened pretty quickly. And then once the initial idea was down, it was still about another year before we had a script. Like, it was a really long process for the script. Um, and it's when you see the movie, it's a very simple story, but to get – it, that simple was quite difficult, which was quite interesting. So, um, yeah, but it was uh, it all worked out for the best, which is good. So, with your career, would you before would you prefer to go forward now making these family adventures, or or, or maybe a return to sci-fi and uh, and horror? I still I I don't think I'll go back to horror for a little while. I've sort of done a fair bit of that. Like even before Cinemaphobia, I made a whole bunch of short movies of horror films and stuff. Um, I think, yeah, I definitely love the, the sort of the wider audience appeal that family movies have. Um, but, yes, yeah, sci-fi, I, I love sci-fi. I'm working on a comedy script at the moment, um, which could be interesting. And, um, yeah, I'm not – yeah, I think uh, I'll, I'll definitely push horror to the side for the moment, but I'm enjoying the family uh, adventure genre, I guess, right now, which is good. Uh, you've done a fantastic job with this, by the way. Um, you recently said that uh, you originally thought that the film's target audience is kids between 8 and 13, but now you think kids a lot younger are also enjoying it. Uh, what kind of reactions have you had from those uh, younger kids? Yeah, so there's been a lot much younger kids um, turning up to some of the screenings, and I've had to, I got to speak to them afterwards or I've spoken to the parents or whoever or even just spoke to the cinemas that have spoken to the, the audience members. And, um, yeah, like four-year-olds, five-year-olds have really loved it. Not all of them, but, but a fair percentage of them have really enjoyed it, um, which kind of surprised us because um, we thought it was just it was a particular sort of audience. Like, yeah, like I think 8 to 13 was kind of where it seemed to work the best. But it's weird. Like we can show adults and, you know, some adults will really love it. Um, I know a lot of like, um, like women have really enjoyed it. I think it's the whole family, um, without giving too much away, the whole family tie-in um, of generations and stuff that they seem to um, get something out of. Um, but it's, it's weird. Like you could show a, a thousand people the same movie and 50% will love it and 50% will hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, but it's always interesting to try to change that maths, I guess, and try to sort of figure out, um, yeah, like, you know, make, let's make a really interesting, uh, thousand people, I guess, rather than just a, you know, a generic sort of, you know, throw out to the world type mm-hmm. of audience, I guess. But, um, yeah, kids seem to really love it, which is, which is good. I, I, I assumed the kids would like it, but when we showed kids, they seemed to really, really love it. Um, like really enjoyed it, all the different elements that are in there. And um, and some kids, you know, thought it was like the best movie they've ever seen, which was quite um, a nice thing to hear, I guess. So, um, 
<laughs> which I'm sure you could, you know, you could show any movie to kids, and I'm sure they'd say the same thing. But it was nice to hear that about this film for sure. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful. That's fantastic. Um, so everyone in this group of comic kids gives a terrific performance. So can you tell us about casting Lucas, Trix, Inertia, Guns, Claudia, and Archie? Yeah, so when we initially wrote the characters, I wanted to make sure each character was very different from each other and very easy to remember because I've seen a lot of kids' films where you've got, you know, seven or eight kids in the cast and you, some of them seem to double up or some get lost in the, in the crowd. And so I wanted to make sure that each one was very memorable. So when we casted the kids, we made sure they're very different from each other in looks um, and personalities. And so we spent, I think it was about four or five months looking for kids, and I looked at about – just like on online, I, I think I looked at maybe about a thousand or even two thousand kids um, on different casting websites, and we saw about a hundred um, of the, you know, the cream of the crop type of thing. And um, yeah, we narrowed it down pretty quickly. Like we sort of we knew very quickly if the person that we thought would be right um, would be right, and most of them were. And some took us by surprise, like Lucas or Xavier, who plays the main kid. Lucas, we thought he was going to be a much different type of kid, and um, he ended up being this amazing actor that just sort of stole the show for us so um yeah he was very easy to cast which is a nice surprise on the day when, when he came in they're all so great uh, are there any stories uh, behind the kids names or nicknames uh not really the only i just i will I, I tried to make each kid a little bit of myself um so i sort of drew um you know sort of like pulled myself apart i guess <laughs> metaphorically and tried to sort of dissect myself in the different characters. So um, so Lucas is the leader or the director, I guess you could say. Um, tricks, who does all the magic tricks. I've been into magic sort of most of my life, so I love um, doing all sorts of magic tricks. Um, guns is like the fitness sort of like karate freak, I guess, which I've also been into. Um, and Inertia is into like, you know, tinkering with electronics, which I've always been into as well. Um, and Claudia, I always say, has red hair because I've got red hair. Oh, so um, right. that's, that's, how, that's sort of how she came into it. But um yeah, they're all, they're all a little bit of me, which um, I didn't really realise until after we made the film, and I realised really quickly that they were all of, all of me, which is, which is quite a nice discovery, actually. You're listening to the Cinema Australia podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at cinemaaustralia.com.au. Uh, there's a great line in the film where Lucas talks about working with children and animals, uh, something W.C. Yeah. Fields uh, famously warned filmmakers against. Uh, how was your experience working with uh, children and this adorable dog on, on the comic kids? Uh, it, was re- it was really easy, actually. Like, it wasn't difficult at all. I, we thought it was going to be very difficult. Like, we sort of, um, you know, prepared for the worst. But the kids were great. They were, you know, we, we sort of cast them that way too. We made sure that they, you know, good listeners and they, were, they all loved the whole process, like they had like the best time ever. Um, we never worked longer than I think seven or eight hours. So our days were never crazy long days. Um, I think the majority of our days were five hour shoots or something like that. Um, so the kids were mostly well rested except for some of the early morning scenes we had to shoot when we had to get up at like, you know, four thirty or five o'clock. Wow. But, um, yeah, it, it, um, it, it, it all came together quite well, but yeah, um, it was, yeah, it was quite easy. Even with Hamish, the dog, he was, um, he was great. He was, he's actually my dad's dog. And my oh, dad's, are you um, kidding? Yeah, he's had him really well trained. We're going to use, we're, I've got a German Shepherd as well, and we were going to use um, Rex, our dog, but um, he's not that well trained. And if you let him out on the street, he would just run away and actually never come back, <laughs> um, which, we, which has actually happened to us a couple of times. So, um, yeah, Hamish was yeah, my dad's dog, really well trained, 
and I sort of said to Dad, you know, we need him to do, you know, about five things in this movie. He needs to be able to bark on command. He has to, you know, crawl. He has to, you know, um, attack and all, all these sort of um, different things. So my dad, um, yeah, spent a few months training him and he, yeah, he did a great job and he was so placid throughout. The kids loved him and he had a had a ball. So, um yeah, it was quite easy. No, no horror stories, unfortunately. No, that, that's good. That, that, that's the kind of story that we want to hear. That it was a great experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and fun. then, of course, there's the uh, older cast, which includes Marty Roan and uh, Reg Gorman. Uh, how did uh, those two castings come about? They were just from me looking for people. I just came across them online. I, d- I didn't actually know of Marty Roan's um, musical career. He's quite a famous uh, singer from the '80s. Um, which I had no idea about. My parents knew him very well, and my mum has got to meet him many times and got his autograph, and same with Reg, which is quite funny. Wow. Um, but, yeah, I just I just, found, I just came across them online and just sort of said, do you want to be in this film? Because I'd seen some of their acting stuff, and then I realised really quickly who they were, and um, they, they were great. Like, even when, yeah, when Marty came in, his audition was fantastic, and I was sort of, you know, showing a bunch of my friends. I'm like, check out this guy. This guy's really good. Um, and then it was quite difficult to find – you know, someone that looked like they could have been in their 80s, I guess, that could act quite quite well. Yeah. And when I came across Reg, I thought he was perfect. And so I think I sent an email to his daughter or something and said, you know, would your dad be interested in being in this film and sent the script through? And, yeah, he read it straight away and loved it. And he's been, yeah, they're both been sort of great advocates of the film. So they really enjoyed the whole process as well, which is good. Uh, I was surprised to read that this is the first time Marty has played a villain. I mean, he makes such a fantastic villain. I, I would have thought that he had done it a bit in the past. Yeah, I agree. I I can't actually see him. Every time I see him in any other film or TV show now, I I can't see him as being a nice guy. It sounds so awful to say, but he um yeah, he seemed to play the bad guy perfectly. And um yeah, it's weird to see him um be a nice uh, you know, the nice guy like he is in real life. It's it's weird to see that on on camera. So um, yeah, he definitely plays the bad guy really well. That's, um, I'm so glad we got him, actually, which is good. Um, as well as the performances, there are two other things about this film which really jumped out at me in a, in a positive way. Uh, one was the brilliant use of miniatures, and two was Heath Brown's uh, fabulous score. Uh, can you yes. tell us a bit about uh, using the miniatures rather than CGI? Because, in my opinion, miniatures just aren't used enough nowadays. Yeah, I, I've never really had good... Um, I've never had good... Uh, sort of um, experiences with uh, CGI ever. I've, every time I've tried to use it, it's always come up looking fake and bad and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I've, I've built miniatures in the past for different films, and after many meetings about different sequences, we just came to the conclusion that miniatures would be a great element to have in the film. Um, they obviously look more real, I think. And even if they don't look real, you know that they're actually real, if that kind of makes sense. That's true. Like, you know, you could, you know, you know, you could, you can touch them in real life. And that's what I love about, I guess, like going back to the, the late eighties films and the early nineties of all these, um, yeah, like, you know, they've got um, prosthetics and puppets and all that sort of stuff, which you can, you know, then you know that they're real, like your brain sort of attaches to them in reality a lot more, which I think CGI is almost just caught up to. It took a long time, but it's almost got there, mm. which is kind of really good. So, um, yeah, I just I spent a lot of time building these miniatures. We built um, two main ones, so that was just when the kids are crossing the log. There's a big mountain sort of side of miniatures, and um, the driving at the start with all the cars and the screen, and that was all a miniature as well. So um, yeah, it spent a fair bit of time. It was a bit stressful to try to make it work. They're not a hundred percent, but they're they, you know, they're ninety nine percent realistic. I, I hope that people um, yeah enjoy seeing them on screen, and it was it was heaps of fun to make. So that's um, 
Yeah, it was really good. I think it worked and, um, very well because I didn't even notice the the start scene with the, at the drive-in. I didn't notice that there were miniatures used there. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just for just for the wide shot. There's um just that one wide shot when you see all the cars. That's that's a miniature. And if you look really carefully, um, we used a real projector, like just you know a, you know a small sort of like phone book size projector. Right. And um, we actually you can actually see the projector in the scene. Like if it's it's in the dark, it's in the shadows, but it's you're actually looking at a, a full size projector, which is kind of really weird. Wow. Um, and then all the cars around, and we laid down heaps of little rocks and I built a little screen. And I'd put an actual royalty-free movie on the screen initially, and that was going to be in the film. And then I kept doing research, kept doing research, and I couldn't actually pr- officially prove that it was um, a royalty-free or public domain film. So I had to go and shoot something really quickly. So I got some, um, like, made some little UFOs out of uh, tin, yeah, um, what do you call it, like aluminium foil yeah. and um, some plates and just spun them in front of a green screen and just added a whole bunch of silly effects. <laughs> um, on the computer, and that's yeah, that's the, the, the shot you've seen it, which is meant to look fake, so it's good that it looks fake. Mm, mm. And um, and yeah, and get into Heath's music, like Heath, I think Heath's music is unbelievable. Like the stuff he sent me, it took him a, a couple of months to get. I think it was about nine months of work he put into that, or even more eventually. But initially, it was about nine months till I heard the first track, and I was just like blown away. I just couldn't believe it. And there's a, quite a lot of music in the film, and he realized that and i sort of tried to trim back a bit here and there but i just music just seemed to sort of uplift the movie and it sort of filled in the gaps of the dna you know with our because our budget was quite small so it um it kind of made it look and sound you know a bit more hollywood which is um which worked really well so yeah the soundtrack's great he um, nails the tone of this film with that score it's yeah, just incredible i know yeah yeah it's really good so yeah it's under- and, and bernie our cinematographer as well he did an amazing job like he he was sort of, I always say, if, if I was the brain behind the film, he was the muscles behind the movie. Like, he just got out and just moved the camera around, and he was so easy to work with, and he just, yeah, I've, I've never, yeah, never had such a good experience with a DP. So he um, he did an amazing job, and um, he's quite proud of it too, which is good. Uh, you're a composer yourself. Uh, were you ever tempted to write and compose uh, your own score for this? No, not really. It's it's so difficult. Like, I, I have done a few soundtracks in the past. I did the Cinemophobia soundtrack, and that took me forever. <laughs> Um, it's an okay soundtrack. It kind of sounds a lot like the Halloween soundtrack, John Carpenter's, but that's okay. Um, and yeah, it, it was just too much work. I knew, I knew I wanted, like Keith did the 41 soundtrack and that's a really good soundtrack too. And I just, I just went straight to him and I was like, you know, I think, I think you can do this quite well. And he just yeah jumped to it and had all this new technology to play with. And, um, yeah, it just sounds like a real orchestra, which is fantastic. So, um, yeah, it's really good. So uh, the big question, uh, why did you decide to set this film in America rather than uh, Australia? Yeah, I've had a lot of people ask that question, actually. Um, we just thought initially it was just going to get to a bigger audience, which it already has, which is great. Um, I think people just, the unfortunately in this country especially, the language of film has just gone American, basically. There's heaps of productions now um, in the country and out of the country they're coming into the country that are, uh, just American, just American productions. And I was working with different producers on different scripts um, previously, and they were just saying, you know, just just make this American. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so, um, yeah, we just did that. And it, it had a much nicer look to it, I think, as well. I tried to sort of stay away from the Australian sort of, um, you know, forests and all that sort of stuff because I'm not a huge fan of how that all looks. And so, um, yeah, we just, we just thought, you know, that the 1950s American look is definitely um, – what the comic kid should be like, I guess. So it was just it was mainly for the audience initially. That was the main idea. 
I've got to admit, I was a little bit scared going into this, uh, thinking, oh, my God, what are we going to get here? But um, I was surprised. Everyone did such a great job pulling off those accents. It, it was really, really well done. Yeah, yeah. We spent quite a lot of time trying to make it look and sound American, I guess. Um, I've had a lot a lot of people – I think it's put off a lot of people, uh, mm. um, especially in Australia, that have heard about the film. They think they're going to get this in Australian adventure movie, and then they realise it's just an American <laughs> sort of story, I guess. But um, – yeah, we just it just it, it did come down. I mean, there was one particular day when the decision had to be made if it was going to be American or Australian, and I just I battled in my head, and I just I couldn't see it going the Australian sort of way. I guess um, I just felt like it needed to be an American film, and it, it's it's pulled off well. We um, uh, Juliet, the girl that plays Claudia in the film, she couldn't get the accent; she just couldn't seem to um, grasp it properly. And I really didn't want to have to recast anyone, so um, I just said, "Just you to be Australian, you be like the Sandy from Greece in this uh, story." That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Just, we'll just keep like that. And that works fine. And yeah, it does. It's all, I, when I see other movies that have, you know, Australian and, and American accents, it is kind of weird because it does stand out. Mm. But um, hopefully I think we got away with it. And, um, yeah, I, I think it, it's, it was the right decision to make. So, yeah. Uh, so you've said that you want to take a break from filmmaking for a year. What can we expect to see when, when you get back into it? Well, I'd like to obviously direct again. Um, yeah, we'll be taking a year off just to write some scripts. So I've got about three scripts on the go. So one of them's a comedy film, um, which I think is quite funny, hopefully. Um, the other one is uh, like a big sci-fi movie, like a very big sci-fi movie. Um, and the third one I'm not really sure of yet, sort of still in the works. So, um, yeah, I'll spend the year writing and I won't necessarily direct all of those scripts, but I'll hopefully get back into it after about a year or, or earlier, depending on what happens, I guess. So, yeah. Is the uh, comedy script that you're referring to, is that bad movie? Uh, it is, yeah, that's right. So I've um, been working on that. I've had that idea for uh, about ten years, and I just I got to a point where I'm like I need to write this, and um, I started writing it, and I got to about I think ninety pages, and I left it for a couple of months, and I went back and I read it, and I'm like, oh, this is actually quite funny. This is quite good. So it needed heaps of work, and it still does need a lot of work, at least a few more months of solid sort of writing on it. But um, I think it's somewhat original, and I think it's um, it's really funny, and I think it uh, it could be a a good film so um yeah i'm going to get back into that that's probably the first one i'm going to tackle first and try to get that properly finished my wife and, and i uh, had a uh, had a good laugh at the synopsis for this one can you tell us a bit about the synopsis just very quickly yeah so it's about a world-renowned film critic and um he wakes up one day and he's trapped inside a bad movie and um there's there's a lot more to it than that that's a very sort of you know, very basic thing, but it's, it's sort of like a Woody Allen style film. Um, someone like Will Ferrell or Adam Sandler could easily fit into the role, but it's a little bit more thoughtful than just the generic um, comedy movie. And there's a lot of film jokes in there and a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of, co- it's, it's very funny. It's just, it's sort of constantly funny. Um, and I love that sort of, I love, you know, movies and movies and movies. So I hope that, um, yeah, that will work quite, quite well, hopefully. So yeah, hopefully that, that might be something that gets off the ground eventually, hopefully. Sounds fantastic. Uh, All right, well, uh, thank you very much for joining us. So we really appreciate you taking the time. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on both iTunes and SoundCloud. For all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews, you can visit www.cinemaaustralia.com.au. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram.